Welcome to the Vine Podcast for what is our first episode of this kind in quite some time. And my name is Warren Gray, and today we are going to be talking about Advent, Time, and Tension. And so joining me for today's conversation, as he often does, is Jason Martin. Hello, Jason. Hey, Warren. Yeah, uh, we haven't had a uh, a lot of the you and I sit down or, or a couple a group of people sit down and, and kind of talk about a topic on the podcast, specifically for the podcast, in quite some time. I'm thinking... Um, Let's see, I'm actually looking through the archives right now. Uh, I think the last one we did was August 30th, which oh, wow. at, which at this point has been, let's see, one, two, three, about three and a half months ago. When it, we just it has had been a, a minute. Yeah, we, we just had a short episode of like what's happening at the Vine and just talking about, you know, some of the changes that had occurred and what was going on and that's right. Um, we, we all, it was almost like a fall preview or something, I think. Yeah, right? yeah, sort of. Yeah, uh, so it has been a while. Well, much has happened since then. We yeah. <laughs> So we previewed the fall. The fall happened, and now here we are in Advent. Yeah. So uh, we had some class recordings along the way. Yeah, but it's the first time since then we've sat down yeah. for, for one of these types of recording. And then and, I, I, did, I did post the, uh, the Q&A with Justin Lee, uh, the right. audio recording we had of that. Uh, about a month after he had spoken at our church, uh, the three sessions he did are, are on the YouTube channel, but the Q&A I put just up on the podcast. So if you hadn't heard that, um, I would really highly encourage you to go check it, check out that episode from November 9th. Yeah, that one was good. Well, so Advent seemed like a good season to jump back in and, and talk about some stuff in the podcast. We... I have been talking about some Advent stuff in sermons, but I think Advent provides some good material to talk about more conversationally. And so we're actually going to do that, uh, if you're listening to this on the week it comes out, we're going to do that this coming Sunday in, an, in our adult class, actually. And uh, Jason and I are going to do that today. And I think there are some good themes to to think about and, and to kind of explore conversationally. So that's what we're going to do today. And so I first just kind of want to talk about Advent generally, because Jason, you and I have talked in this space and in other spaces before about kind of the fact that, that neither of us grew up in faith traditions that observed or recognized Advent or really a lot of the other kind of liturgical, you know, times and calendar things and any of that really. And so for me, at least, Advent still kind of feels like a like a second language of sorts. It always kind of feels like I'm speaking a second language when I talk about Advent things. But I think that brings us to it with, with an interesting perspective. And, and so I want to think about that a little bit at the beginning here today. And so I'm, I'm curious, Jason, just kind of, if you've just had general thoughts, feelings, observations, kind of this season of, of Advent as, as we've gone through it. Yeah, so... As you said, like Ad- Advent is kind of like a different language, uh, the liturgical calendar for for you and I, and something we're learning more about. Um, and it's it's something I think more about now than in years past. But I still don't think it's necessarily, um, you know, a huge factor on my mind. And maybe that's something I need to change and and would benefit. I would benefit from changing, but. Uh, I know that in the past, uh, I have, you know, attempted to incorporate more specific Advent activities or or practices, uh, whether they are, you know, communal. Um, so, uh, you know, doing Advent things with our church community or with my family or just on my own. Um, but this year in particular, I didn't really have anything specific, except I, as I was reflecting on the topic for today, um, I did think about how, uh, you know, my job, my, my primary job, I teach at a university and uh, the university went on semester break um, in uh, just before Thanksgiving. So we had our, our final day of the semester, um, the day or two days, two days before Thanksgiving. And ever since then, I've been catching up on work. I've been doing other things. Um, I've been a little bit of preparation for the upcoming spring semester. 
But a lot of it really has been anticipatory. It's been waiting. It's been uh, kind of preparing for something that is coming. And and that's been the case uh, with my job and professionally. It's also in various ways been the case personally. And, um, and the, I've had days where I wake up and I don't have something specific I have to do in anticipation of whatever is coming in the spring or at the end of December. But there, or I, I should say, I don't have like specific things I have to do, but there are things that would be beneficial to do to get me in the right state uh, either the right frame of mind or to just have some amount of preparation. And I'll be honest, sometimes I've done it, sometimes I haven't. Uh, in fact, today, uh, probably when we get finished recording this podcast, I, I have something that I should have started yesterday and procrastinated, never got around to it. And then I had a little bit of time earlier today and I didn't do it. I need to at least like get, uh, I, I need to at least kind of begin to prepare myself you know it's it's a task that I've been putting off for a while and uh, I need to at least kind of prepare myself in some way um, so that to I begin to prepare this. yourself is a very low standard it feels like it I know but sometimes that's what you got to do you're right no, it does, I agree. It, does I agree. it is a low standard in many ways but uh, I think that's how I have to think about some things especially things that are uncertain that are ambiguous as to what exactly I do need to do um, where I may have an idea of the outcome but in terms of the specific steps to achieve that outcome it's not always clear I do have to prepare myself to begin Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, whatever it is and and I don't know sometimes you just have to start well, but even then, like, okay, what counts as starting sometimes, you know? <laughs> so I think Advent actually, uh, it, that reminds me a little bit of Advent because Advent's, we're, we're preparing for, you know, the coming of Christ. And, uh, and in a way, we're preparing for the coming of the child, uh, child Christ. We're preparing for the birth of the Son of God. Um, but in a way, that's already happened. And yet, in some sense, it is yet to come. And I know we're going to talk more about kind of the questionable uh, Jeremy Baramy type uh, uh, ways of looking at time. But it, it, I don't know, kind of reminds me of Advent in the sense of what exactly do we do to prepare for Advent? How, I mean, okay, you can pray, you can read your scripture, you can meditate, you can, um, you know, kind of reflect on on sacrifice and thankfulness and gratitude and whatever kind of other things that people do. All that's well and good. I I don't know always what my preparation should look like though, you know? And so that's kind of, that that's kind of what's on my mind as it relates to Advent today. Yeah. And the reason I said sometimes you just have to start is it's one of the things that's been helpful for me in things like writing sermons and things right. is that, um, our, our friend Sean Palmer has been helpful for me in this. Like, I think it's something he talks about. Like if you, if you don't know what to write, you just start writing, like get a first draft out and then you have something to work from. Then you have something to edit and to go back and, and, and improve upon. And so I've tried to do that several times. It's like, well, I, I don't know where this is going, but I just, I need to start writing. I need to start doing something. And I think there is something to that with really any type of spiritual discipline. It's like, well, I don't know how to pray. Well, start, you know, you can start with just sitting in silence for a little bit, for a couple of minutes. Start there, start somewhere, do something, and, and something can grow from that then. And, and so you, you mentioned some things about time and kind of that, that aspect of already but not yet. And that's kind of what we talked about last Sunday yeah, we talked about the Jeremy Baramy timeline. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time there today fleshing that out again, but but people could go back and, and listen to Sunday's sermon if they want to know what that's about. But I do want to talk about that kind of... So we talked Sunday about the tension of of already but not yet, that as you said, we're, we're remembering this time when Christ came into the world and also kind of anticipating him coming again. We're remembering that light came into the world, and yet we exist in a time where there is still darkness, and, and there's a sort of tension to that. And I think 
like you, I still, I, as I said, I, I'm still kind of speaking a second language, I feel like, when, when it comes to Advent. But one of the interesting things about that is I feel like every year then, I feel like I notice different things or, or kind of observe different things then and how other people talk about it or observe it. Uh, because even though like this is my fifth Advent season here at the Vine, and so on one hand, you could look at that and say, well, I've been doing it for five years, but really it's only like five months because you're not doing it for a year. So it still is, is, feels very new in a lot of ways. And this year, as I've kind of listened and, and kind of read thoughts of people who are really like liturgical purists and Advent purists, it's been interesting to me how some of those people really push back against kind of the ways in which our culture celebrates Christmas really like starting in November, right? Like our culture can like barely wait till November 1st to like pull out the Christmas decorations. Oh, and yeah. from an Advent purist standpoint, like you're not supposed to celebrate Christmas until Christmas Day. Like everything leading up to that is still the darkness and the anticipation of that light and that celebration that starts Christmas Day. And then Christmas Day is the start of that celebration. And so it's been interesting just to see like on Twitter and in different places where you've got this kind of tension even there between kind of the liturgical Advent purist who would say we're celebrating too early. And then the larger, far larger majority of our population in our culture and even in churches who are very much ready to celebrate, you know, in November. And, and I don't want to be the one that says, you know, don't celebrate early because as I've mentioned in a sermon, like I, if, if you need to celebrate and this is a celebratory time for you, then you do that. But I think it is just one way in which there's this kind of interesting tension of time and how do we spend time and, and how do we embody it well that, that exists there. And so partly today, I just wanted to talk about tension kind of in general and then maybe some about how it relates to the ways in which we go about kind of living and and using our time. But, but to start with, I just want to kind of think about tension. And, and so I think, Jason, that you're a good conversation partner, specifically for me, for this conversation, because I, I know that you and I often have different responses to things like tension and conflict, um, that in some of our conversations, you have made comments about the benefits of tension, and that tension can actually be a good thing. And, and that's something that that at least like I understand that, but it's not where I naturally go. It's not my natural tendency to lean into tension and to see the benefits of it and to even seek it out because it's something that can, can lead to positive outcomes. So I want to kind of talk through that for a little bit. Um, like what, what would you say, what would you have experienced are the benefits of tension and, and where and how can tension actually be helpful for us? Well, first of all, there is no growth. There is no um uh improvement there's no uh kind of increasing of good in any way without some amount of tension that if you think about what actually creates positivity what actually creates growth tension is always going to be a part of that um if i want to have a better life philosophy, if I want to have a better personal theology, then at some point, my current philosophy or my current personal theology is going to have to come into question. And, uh, and maybe, maybe it's being brought into question by someone else. Maybe it's just something I've discovered on my own that is calling it into question, but it's going to have to come into question. And that questioning process creates tension. It's the tension between what I believe or what I think or how I feel now versus how I think, feel, believe, believed before. And it's this questioning of, well, what do I think now? And has my thinking grown or evolved in some way? Has my belief in, in some small manner changed in any particular way? And that, that that questioning creates a necessary tension between who I am now and who I want to be, or who I am now and who I was, even if that want to be and was is separated by mere seconds or minutes. There's a tension there. There's also a tension when um when other people when we encounter other people and we're challenged 
in terms of what we expect of ourselves or what we expect of others. You know, if I, you know, see a, a, a news story or watch a documentary or read a book about, you know, a seemingly ordinary person who did extraordinary things, you know, that might create some tension in terms of me asking, well, what am I doing, you know, or how how can I bring about the kind of of amazing change that this person created or, or how, you know, how does this inspire me in some way? And I think inspiration to, to do good or inspiration to, um, to, to be a positive force in the world comes from that tension of, of being inspired, of being provoked to action. Uh, and so tension doesn't have to mean, an external or volatile conflict. Sometimes it's an internal conflict that we just recognize and pay attention to and try to listen to. And so those are just some of the ways that I think that tension can uh, can really be positive forces. And, and I would even say not only positive forces, but necessary forces to do good in the world, to uh, improve as people, to... Uh, to constantly be readjusting our our ourselves and our uh, decisions and our direction in life to better fulfill God's will. If I assume that I am perfectly in line with everything that that God is asking me to do, uh, then you know. Well, first of all, it could be argued that the tension may be in that case uh, to keep doing those things and be able to kind of sustain with the, you know, the other forces impacting on us. But I think more, more likely there's there, I'm probably wrong about that, or at least I will be wrong at some point and that God's going to challenge me to move in different directions. God's going to challenge me to move into areas that I may be uncomfortable. And that's where that tension will, will be felt. It would be interesting to, to sort of sit down with a group of people and if you asked people to sort of give an image of tension or an example of tension or what, what do they think of when they hear the word tension, I would imagine that most people would reference some type of interpersonal external tension, but maybe I'm wrong. And so, it's, cause, so that's one of the things I was thinking when you were saying that is that, yeah, there, there is this, this internal tension that we, that we have to face. And there are also external tensions, whether that's with things we see in the world that we want to improve or, or interpersonal tensions between other people um, that exist. And so that was like one of the things as you were talking there, I was thinking is, I wonder if, just kind of generally, we as people find any of those harder to deal with and grapple with. And that's certainly going to be person to person. But I was wondering if kind of as a therapist, you see any threads or themes there of it seems harder for people to to sit with a particular type of tension. Like, is there a certain type of tension that is just you find generally harder for people to sit with and be okay with and and desire to resolve and or move through and, and deal with than others. Yeah. Uh, before I get to that, though, I do want to just mention, as you were kind of talking about the contrast and different tensions, uh, I'll tell you the image that comes to my mind when I think of tension is a rubber band or maybe uh, a belt on the engine of a car that has to be, you know, mm-hmm. tight to some degree, but not too tight. But like a right. rubber band, a rubber band works. Its whole function is to stretch, right? And it doesn't. A rubber band's not going to be very useful if it's so big that it can't stretch. And but that act of stretching, first of all, does what that rubber band was designed to do, presumably to hold something together. But it's only going to hold it together if it's being stretched and tension is being created. Right, but if you stretch it too much, it's going to break. Yeah, yeah, and so there yeah. does, and but there, the, but there does the have balance. to be, there does have to be some malleability. And honestly, most rubber bands, especially a new rubber band, um, you got to stretch it pretty far outside of its natural state in order for it to break. 
Mm. Like, I, I don't know what the science is behind that, but I would imagine <laughs> that if you take an average rubber band, you probably have to stretch it to, you know, four or five times its natural length before it will break. Maybe more. I don't I don't know specifically. I'm kind of making that up. But if you took a rubber band... We're planning band, to get into rubber band science today. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it would be a cool little science experiment. How far can I stretch this rubber band before it breaks? How how much longer? You know, if it's a rubber band that naturally is is um, you know say six inches or so in circumference or or eight inches, you know, can I then stretch it to be you know twenty, thirty, forty inches in circumference? I don't know, maybe, but it's probably a lot more than two or three times its size. So yeah, eventually it will break, but you're going to be stretching it to an exponential degree before mm-hmm. you get to that point. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, so your question about tension that people find particularly difficult, I think, um, I think there are two answers to that question. I think there is an external kind of tension that's most difficult. And then there's an internal type of tension. I think the external tension is that kind of tension that we're afraid or we're concerned may lead to strained or broken relationships. So when we, um, you know, maybe I have a belief or a thought or an opinion that I don't think my friend agrees with, or that I, maybe I think my friend is directly, directly opposed to, um, I, there's some tension there and that is uncomfortable that I don't like around, well, do I share this with them? Yeah. Is the relationship um, going to survive? Is this? the relationship going to survive this? Exactly. Are they going to, you know, maybe I'm even unsure about what they think or what they believe, but I realize, or at least I, I, be- I think the possibility exists that they may hold a very hostile view of my belief or of my opinion. And, you know, if I express myself to them, if I put that opinion out there, if I put that belief out there, um, how will that change our relationship? How will that change the way that they see me? Um, and is that something that I'll, that, that our relationship will be able to sustain? You know, I think that's, um, well, it, not so much about a belief, but about identity. I think that that's, you know, fundamentally the struggle that, that uh, LGBTQ individuals have when it comes to coming out, the coming out process is how will this change my relationship with my community, with uh, people um, that I love and people that I rely upon, um, you know, my parents, my siblings, my friends, my, you know, grandma, uh, you know, the people at my church, the people at my work, um, you know, the people, my next door neighbors, if I come out to my community, how will that change my relationship to the community? Um, you know, there was a time when it inevitably would, and in many places still it will inevitably, but, uh, you know, that it's that calculus of, okay, how, how much will this change me? And so I think that's the kind of tension that we don't like, that we try to avoid and that we, you know, want to overcome or that we want to just uh, avoid bringing to pass as often as we can. And that's why we end up kind of in, in sort of relational silos, not to say that this perfectly exists, but we end up gravitating towards people that, you know, think more similarly to us, that believe more similarly to us, that may even look more similar, similarly to us. Yeah. And, and even there, like, I think it's sometimes the struggle is, is having to recognize that there may be tensions then, especially external ones that do not get resolved and are just there. Right. Like you said, kind of going back to the rubber band idea, like a rubber band is serving its purpose when it is held at some amount of tension. Right. And it can maintain that tension for, Mm -hmm. you know, a long time eventually, because it's made of, you know, rubber or whatever, it's going to become brittle and break at some point. But, you know, as long as it is, you know, kind of the lifespan of that rubber band, it can hold that tension. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times too, is part of our fear of 
am I now just going to have to hold this tension? Like if we're going for many of us, at least I think it's like, if I'm going to engage in this tension, I need to know there's another side to it. There's a way to resolve it and move past it. And, and a lot of times in our interpersonal relationships, there's not. And so then we have to wrestle with, okay, so how do we hold that then and be like that rubber band that is existing in a constant state of, of some type of tension and, and still move forward? And as you said, like a lot of times that can be what leads to growth and, and maturation within ourselves, within our relationships. And, and so I do think that whether it's internal or external tension, a lot of times when we go about avoiding that, I think it is a certain type of, of valuing peacekeeping over peacemaking. Right. That it, it's a version of telling ourselves that peace lies in the, in the absence of conflict. And, and what happens, though, is that we really only serve to inhibit things like growth and progress and maturation that you were talking about and, and that I talked about some on Sunday. Like we just we never we never move from where we are. We never deal with anything. And we end up in very and oftentimes kind of inauthentic or un, non-vulnerable, whatever the word would be there, <laughs> uh, relationships with those fragile. around us. I, I, honestly think, yes. I honestly think the word is fragile. Yeah, that's a good word. With ourselves and with others. Yeah. Well, and and I think that the the uh the unintended consequence of that of you know failing to bring that out and and work towards some kind of resolution, the the unintended consequence is that that's what breeds resentment. That's what breeds um false or or destructive assumptions about others. Um, that's what breeds uh, lack of trust, distrust in relationships. Um, because typically, if I know that this tension exists between myself and someone else, whether or not they know specifically what the topic is, they're going to pick up on that. No human is so good at keeping their emotions hidden that you don't at least pick up on there's something going on here, you know, and if you won't talk, if I won't talk to you about it, then you're kind of left to, to just form your own conclusions. And typically you're going to personalize it to you. You know, that that's how most of us are going to do is that if, if I haven't come and talked to you and said, Hey, I have this tension within me and I don't know how to handle it. And here's what it is. And let's see what we can do to, to resolve this. You're going to pick up on the tension, but you're probably going to personalize it to you. I don't, that I don't like you, or I think there's something wrong with you or yeah. something like that. And you're going to misdiagnose it. In, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to misdiagnose it specifically towards how you, how I, you know, towards how one person feels against about me. You know, that's the direction in which I'm going to misdiagnose it in all likelihood. And, and, and so there has to be some openness if we really value the relationship. And if, and if this is the kind of thing that, that ultimately could have a, a negative effect on the relationship either because we held it in or because we express it. We have to have some openness and honesty about it. If nothing else, just to come to uh, a uh, kind of an equilibrium around that, to, to kind of work through that tension. And working through the tension doesn't mean the tension goes away. It just means that we have a, co- a more common understanding about it. And I think this is... First of all, I think where this comes up a lot and people may not realize it is in marriages when when people are are married and there's a topic, a hot button topic that tends to be sort of a an argumentative point or or a point of conflict between the couple. They might just avoid talking about it altogether. And I think that um, many times that's a mistake because that just helps breed resentment. It helps create misunderstandings about the topic. It creates assumptions and presumptions about the other person regarding the topic. Um, 
And so if a if a healthy conversation and productive conversation can be had, the outcome of that healthy, productive conversation may not necessarily be agreement. It may be an agreement that I disagree with you or I have a different opinion or a different belief from you, but that doesn't sacrifice the quality of my, our relationship. That doesn't that does not take precedent over uh, you and how I value you in my life, you know? And I, I, I end up working with a lot of couples where that's the conversation they need to have is to be able to talk about it because no matter how much the two may disagree or may have different points of view about something, it will evolve over time. And it's good for the partner to be involved in knowing how it's evolving over time and especially if there's any hope that eventually it can evolve to bring them closer together. But if you are always avoiding the topic, if you're avoiding the tension that comes from the topic, you're never going to get to that point. Uh, and so there does need to be this sense where, like, like I'll just, in my relationship with my wife, we have slight, somewhat different parenting philosophies. And we've had arguments. In fact, I would say that the biggest arguments we've had over the last 15 years of our marriage have typically been around, you know, how to parent. Um, but we've, we've tried to continue the conversation, sometimes not always constructively, but we've tried to continue the conversation and to such a degree that I, while I may disagree with certain ways that my wife goes about parenting, I understand where she's coming from and I can respect it and I can appreciate it. And the same is true with me or, you know, her with me. And so I think that's one way in which the external tension, you know, that we have to manage. Yeah, I want to shift gears just a little bit because um, there's there's a verse that I want us to think about for a minute here that may may not seem initially to kind of deal with with tension, but but I think it it actually does in a real way. And it's a verse that that some may know well. There's a, it's a psalm. This is Psalm ninety verse twelve, and it says, "Teach us to number our days." that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And there are several different, I think, kind of approaches that you could take to that or uh, maybe applications or or mindsets that you could kind of read into that or come away with uh, kind of from that verse. But one of the things that I think we find there specifically as it relates to tension is that it forces us to recognize... um, both our own mortality, um, but but also this idea of uh, this idea that we are connected to a certain time and place in history, and that there is some tension there between where we are in our moment in time, what has come before us, um, and and there's sort of an orienting of ourselves that we have to do around that. So, for instance, this is um, part of what one of the books I've been reading kind of in this in the preparation for Advent this year is a book called How to Inhabit Time. It was written by James Smith because I was noticing all these kind of connections to time in Advent. There's a lot about time in kind of the Advent text. And it is a, as you said earlier, you know, it's a very um, anticipatory season. It's about waiting and preparing and um, living in that tension of, of of what do I do and how do I live when I'm expecting something that doesn't seem to be happening yet. And, and so this verse seems to connect well with that. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so in, in response to that verse, the author of this book, James Smith, says this, says, to number our days is not just to count down, making notches on the wall as we hurtle toward the day we can't count. Rather, this is counsel to know when we are, to find our bearings by an orientation to time and history. We are mortal not just because we die, but because we are the sorts of creatures whose very being is lived in time. Being, being mortal means being temporal. And so kind of with that in mind, what he talks about in the book is, is this difference between what he calls no-win forms of Christianity and when there is W-H-E-N, not W-I-N. So not a no-win Christianity, but a no-win W-H-E-N Christianity. And, and what he, he talks about that mindset contrasted against what he calls a spiritual timekeeping mindset. And, and I think that's helpful because... 
there is, I think, a version of Christian thought that, that just kind of has this idea that, that it is eternity that matters, that it's what's coming next matters, and, and we can kind of take the biblical text as it's written and just apply it broadly across time, space, and culture, and it's going to be the same. Um, because it is true, this is, the, this is you know, the Word of God, and we just need to take it, live it out, regardless of kind of where we are or, or what we do. And, um, and so he has a lot to say about kind of those two different mindsets. But one of the, this is going to be a little bit of a longer quote, because I think this is helpful, though, to think about. Um, and, and I think gets at why we have to wrestle with the tension of when we are and the connection of that to faith and, and living in the Spirit. So he says this, in no, when, in, in no when forms of Christianity, the watchword is preservation. Faithfulness is understood as the prolongation and preservation of what has been, often oblivious to how recent their version of, quote, the fundamentals is. In other words, in no when Christianity, faithfulness is a matter of guarding against change. In spiritual timekeeping, the watchword is discernment. Faithfulness requires knowing when we are to discern what we are called to. In nowhere forms of Christianity, faithfulness is equating with sustaining a stasis. Spiritual timekeeping, in contrast, is characterized by a dynamism of keeping time with the Spirit. A faithful Christian life is a matter of keeping time with the Spirit, But what the Spirit asks of us always reflects history, our own, but also the history of the church and the societies in which we find ourselves. What do we do now is one of the fundamental questions of discipleship. And so I read that quote because I think, one, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to wrestle with quite a lot of tension (laughs) if you're going to take what he says seriously um, and I think I've also connected with it because I think it's what we as a church are kind of attempting to do in this particular season. We've called this kind of a season of discernment for our church. And I feel like this is what we are kind of attempting to do to, to discern and to see what is the spirit doing amongst us and what is that going to mean for our future. And to a certain extent, part of what you have to do is, is do some history work, be willing to look back and to say, where have our people come from? What is the history of who we are as a people, um, the history of, of our setting, where we are? Uh, what do we see happening around us right now in terms of what God is building and doing here? And, and then kind of trying to take all that and say, so what does that mean for where we're going in the future and, and who we are as individuals and as a body? And, and I think that's an important part of faith. And it's something that this idea of, of numbering our days and paying attention to when we are and when we exist and what this moment asks of us is, is that's why that's important, I think. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that that's reflected in the, you know, time and place uh, questions are reflected in the ministries of Jesus, right? You know, Jesus did uh, a lot of things um, that angered and and frustrated the Pharisees, not because, I mean, a lot of people like to point to, uh, you know, well, the Pharisees didn't like people, you know, stepping on their toes and, and taking, uh, taking their power away from them. And, uh, and even that, that's reflected a little bit in some of the commentary within the gospel a little bit, but I think that misses the point ultimately. You know, I think what Jesus's message ultimately is, is that there's a time and a place for, you know, for these rules. There's a time and a place for the law. And, you know, he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of ways that we could interpret and, and, and look at that. But ultimately, you know, Jesus isn't saying, um, you know, the, the Sabbath is antiquated and we don't need to worry about you know, keeping the Sabbath anymore. But rather, he says, I'm in front of a man who who could who needs healing, who could benefit from healing, that could fill the feel the power of God through the healing. Just because it happens to be the Sabbath doesn't mean that I should 
you know, avoid or or discount that opportunity. No, I'm going to heal on the Sabbath because this is the time and the place in which this person is in front of me. And so therefore I'm going to do it. And I think there are a lot of examples of Jesus in the Bible, uh, in the Gospels, um, doing things that the Pharisees or that uh, even his own disciples would find uh, troubling. And and Jesus would say and do those things because that was the time and the place in which to say and do them. And it wasn't to say that the traditions and the law and the um, the 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 things that they had been taught their whole lives were invalid, but that there there you that you do have to be spirit led and you do have to be mindful of of who you are and where you are and when you are. Um, in order to discern what do I need to do now? And so if today is the Sabbath um, and I'm faced with someone that I can heal and that I can, um, you know, bring the power of God to manifest with, it, it's, ir- it's irresponsible spiritually to avoid doing so uh if that's the time and the place and i think that that we're faced with that today when we have to discern um okay what does the bible mean for my life today you know every word of the bible was written thousands of years ago um and and that doesn't mean that it's irrelevant even the seemingly you know disconnected parts of the book of numbers or chronicles there's there are lessons for me to learn there are, there are messages that god wants me to get from that you know i i think that uh you know that's the inspiration of scripture is not to say well it means the same thing today as it did uh when it was written well it obviously doesn't because this is a different time in a different place and it's not to say that god is different or that the bible is different it's that we are different, you know? And so the spirit, I, I need to be discerning about how the spirit is leading me to read the Bible and respond to it and how the spirit is leading me to respond to the other ways in which God communicates with us through uh, the natural world, through the people that we encounter and and be mindful uh, and receptive to this time and in this place how God may be choosing to use me or choosing to use the other people I encounter or choosing to use the scripture that is thousands of years old, but which I'm reading here in the year, you know, almost 2023. Uh, that's the discernment that I need to have. And it's tough. And it also means, you know, speaking of tension, that I may come to different conclusions than someone else. I may be inspired or be led in the spirit in a very different and maybe contradictory way to how someone else is. And I have to be able to live with that tension as well. Yeah. Yeah. That tension along with the tension of being willing to, to step into that discernment and to, to think critically about those things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to keep, to keep with your Sabbath illustration, you know, I think what Jesus is, is doing there, I feel like when he heals on the Sabbath, is not is not only kind of yeah paying attention to the time and what is needed in that time, but I think he is um, observing Sabbath in the most faithful way he thinks he can, and and he's observing the spirit of the Sabbath in the way that the others aren't. Um, and I heard someone suggest this at one point. I don't remember who or where it was, but to say that when Jesus heals on the Sabbath. He is actually providing that person with an opportunity for new and profound rest that they have probably not ever experienced. Um, when, he, when he heals someone who is struggling on the Sabbath, that person is able to rest in a way they have probably never been able to before. So, so it is actually this fulfillment of the Sabbath and this honoring of the Sabbath that goes beyond anything any of you know the Pharisees are probably doing where they're you know going meticulously through all this stuff to make sure they don't work that is actually missing the spirit of it and so i think that's part of the irony of what's happening there is that if you fail to recognize the time the place the context um oftentimes what we end up doing is missing the spirit of what faith is calling us to in that time 
And, and I think to that end, like one of the examples that this author, James Smith, gives in this book is, is kind of about the conversation that has happened recently in our culture around the kind of mantra and, and topic of Black Lives Matter. And so he talks about how there's this critique or this response to Black Lives Matter of this phrase, all lives matter. He had this retort of, of well, all lives matter. And, and so, you know, regardless of what people think about what has resulted from those discussions and what has kind of played out in, in you know, those different areas, one of the things that he says in response to that is this. He says, to assert that all lives matter as a response to Black Lives Matter is not wrong in principle, but temporally. It fails to recognize that Black Lives Matter is something that has to be said here and now because of a specific history that got us here. Our and a history, specific present time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's saying our history that got us here. Yeah. Our history makes all the difference for discerning what faithfulness looks like. And so, so yeah, is all lives matter a true statement? Absolutely. But it misses something to proclaim that in response to Black Lives Matter about our history and what got us here and the specific issues and struggles that we see today. And, and in some ways, it is this version of, of like he says, no-win Christianity that, that time and context are necessarily taken into account. And I think in a lot of ways, is, is one example of just failing to sit with the tension of what got us here, where are we, and what does it look like to move forward in grace and peace and love. Um, and, and I think that was a very timely example of kind of what he's getting at, at that. Um, and, and again, if you've got a different conclusion of that, you know, as you said earlier, sometimes we come to different conclusions, um, about what, what is being asked of us. But, but I think that's a fitting example of, of what it means to look at and pay attention to where we are, when we are, and what does faith ask of us now? Yeah. I, I, I think that the the Black Lives Matter movement and then the counter response of All Lives Matter, I think there is a strong parallel to the Sabbath and Jesus healing on the Sabbath in the sense that, you know, we're taking something that is, uh, that is true, you know, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. All lives matter, yes. But in this specific time and place... There's something greater at play here. There's there's a there's a more profound way to to love and to uh, to to do God's will. And when it comes to healing on the Sabbath, you're right that there is this this factor that in healing on the Sabbath, while technically breaking the Sabbath, we're actually bringing people closer to being able to honor the Sabbath in their own way by the sense of giving them that relief. And by proclaiming something like Black Lives Matter in a time and in a place where not only is it that a lot of black people aren't feeling like their lives matter to society at large, that there are plenty of instances of of black lives being discounted and being uh, being made to uh, to 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 be irrelevant um, you know, to the society at large. And so by proclaiming Black Lives Matter, it isn't a an indication that Black Lives Matter more or that, that all lives don't matter, but it is a explicit saying of, you know, we hear and recognize the pain and the suffering that Black Lives uh, experience and have experienced for, you know, hundreds of years. And we are you know, that, that we are calling into account the importance of recognizing that Black Lives Matter in service to, again, just as Jesus healed on the Sabbath, in many ways in service to the Sabbath, we're claim, proclaiming that Black Lives Matter in service to the statement that all lives matter. Absolutely. Well said. And, well, that's probably a good place for us to, to put a pin in this conversation and Maybe that uh, that all encourages people to to think through something about time and and maybe when you are in in your certain life or where we are contextually as as a people as a church and and 
to kind of tie it back to, to Advent where we started this, we started at Advent and then kind of meandered around. It, it is one of the things that I think I have come to appreciate about, about Advent is that idea of, of, of reminding us of some of those tensions that have existed for long before we were here. That, that, that people living in tension is something that has always been a part of the human story and, and that people looking forward to something in hope and people paying attention to the particulars of what is happening now and where is God moving and where is the kingdom of God active and present in, in our time, in our context, matters to us. And we see it on full display in, in the story of, of Jesus and of the story of, of him coming into the world and everything that that kind of brings up and, and reveals. So however you're observing, celebrating, uh, struggling through this season, I hope that, that you find some sense of uh, encouragement from, from worshiping, from spending time in readings, waiting, uh, existing intention, whatever it may be. And uh, so I'm going to close us out today with, um, with prayer, and then we're going to continue some thoughts about time and, and kind of what it means to, to live faithfully now on, on Sunday in Sunday sermon is this in some ways was kind of a bridge between last Sunday and, and this Sunday sermon on what will be the fourth Sunday of Advent and the last one before we get to Christmas morning and, and the celebration that that brings about. So let me pray us out and then we'll be done for today. God, would you help us to to have an appreciation for, for where we are, for when we are, for what that may ask of us. Help us to be willing to sit in intention that may need to be set with. Uh, help us to realize the places where, where we may be missing out on, on growth and progress and revelation uh, from avoiding those things. God, help us to do the hard work that comes in waiting and in preparation and in being honest about where we are and when we are and what that means for, for living lives of faith as individuals and uh, as the collective body of Christ. We thank you for your son and for the season of anticipating his birth and his coming again. And may it reveal to us things about you, your spirit, light and darkness as we move forward. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.